If you're just joining us this morning, we have been journeying together these past couple of weeks, exploring what it looks like to go on the great adventure with Jesus towards even greater health and wholeness than we have today. Some of us are doing okay, but many of us are aware there's headroom for further growth in our lives. There is not yet the fullness of that abundant quality of life which Jesus describes and which we see actually portrayed in his, whole, in his own life. Last week, I suggested that in order to go on this journey, we need sight for the pathway. We need to have our binoculars pointed towards the destination of the kingdom of God. The kingdom, as I explained last week, is not a geographical location. It is a state of being. It is a state of being in love with God and with our neighbor that gives us a spiritual and a relational health that makes life deeper and richer than it could ever be otherwise. And this way of life is not found easily, was another big idea from last week. In fact, many, many people are not even on the road to that life. They're on the road to some other destination. They're heading for Richigan or Famesylvania or Thrillinois or one of those places we talked about last week. But for those who want to follow on this journey with Jesus to that more abundant life, it means focusing on developing both spiritual and relational health in a deeper measure. Today I want to focus you and me and our thinking on the spiritual health piece of that, on what it takes to really develop that deep, vibrant connection with God that leads to greater spiritual health. We get an important clue about this through an encounter that Jesus has with another individual who is also seeking a better life. And so I want to invite you to grab a Bible, the one you brought with you today or one of the ones in the pew, and turn with me to John chapter 5. John 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 9 responsively. And in respect for the Word of God, and just to get our blood pumping a little bit, why don't we rise to our feet as we are able, and if you need to stay seated, that is okay too. But let us proclaim together the Word of our God. It is found in John 5, verses 1 through 9, we'll read uh, back and forth verse by verse. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And we'll stop the reading right there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
To understand the context for the conversation that Jesus has on this particular day, it helps to know a bit of the background. In ancient times, there was a spring that fed a particular part of the city of Jerusalem. It was a hot spring. And some enterprising local residents constructed around the site of that spring stone walls and a patio and several porticos, colonnades as it were, and fashioned out of this location a rather impressive pool and spa. That particular pool was um, sought after by many people in ancient times. You can actually go to that spot in Jerusalem today. It's still there. I've been there myself. It's in ruins now. The water is all gone. But once upon a time, it was a destination. You see, the spring at this particular spot would periodically erupt much as hot springs in the United States in places like the the Yosemite Valley do to this day. And when the the spring erupted, it would turn the pool into a jacuzzi of sorts. And it was the legend of that time that this stirring up of the water was caused by an invisible angel who was roiling things up, and that if you could manage to get yourself into the water when it was all stirred up, you could be healed of whatever ailed you. You could find God's grace and mercy for your deepest needs. Hence the name of this particular location, Bethesda, which means house of grace or house of mercy. Now people came from long distances to get to this place because so many were in need of grace, healing grace and mercy. John chapter 5 tells us that Jesus happened by the place one day, and he got into a conversation with somebody who had ostensibly come to that place to find greater health for himself. Exactly what was wrong with this man we meet in John chapter 5 is not clear. The Bible actually does not spell out in any detail what his particular ailment was. Verse 3 says he was surrounded by the blind and the lame and the paralyzed, so it's a fair guess to think that maybe he had one of those particular illnesses. But verse 5 calls him an invalid. And the Greek word that underlies that English translation is a telling one, is a fascinating one. The Greeks, as you know, had a variety of words for concepts that get translated by a single word in English. For example, The word love, we have one word for love. The Greeks had five words for love, depending on the nuance, the type of love they were talking about. In the like fashion, the Greeks had multiple words to describe illness, different ways of nuancing the nature of a person's malady. And the word that is used in this particular story to describe the invalid is the word asthenia. Say that with me. Asthenia. Asthenia is a word that conveys the way an illness or a problem of some other kind has of weakening a person's spirit. It it, it describes the kind of illness of spirit that comes as a result of affliction in 
in any way. Asthenia particularly suggests that condition in which a person becomes overly and wrongly dependent. Dependent and weakened from their condition. Someone who suffers from asthenia is not just weak in body, they are maybe even more fundamentally weak in soul. That is what it is to be suffer from asthenia. Now, if you read between the lines of this story, you see something of that here, I think. We're told that this man has been an invalid. Uh, he has had asthenia for almost 40, 40 years, 38 to be precise. To his credit, he has got the first principle of life change figured out. He has got his binoculars pointed in the right direction. He has got the healing pool where the angel is at work in his sights. He can see the pathway to that pool. But he is not making any progress in getting to that place of healing, it seems. Verse 6 says, when Jesus saw him lying there and he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? It may seem like a callous question. Of course, what do you think he's doing at the pool of Bethesda if he doesn't want to get well? Jesus asks it nonetheless. Do you? Do you want to get well? Because this guy has been lying there for a long time, and yet he is apparently no closer to the pool. To his destination. Verse 7 paints even more of the picture. Sir, the invalid replies, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Really? Really? Jesus has to be thinking. I mean, how long have you been here? You have built no relationships? With people that could help you make progress? You have found no way of inching yourself in the direction of the pool? You have not figured out that you could probably, with just a little bit of effort, roll yourself into the pool? Even if you had no arms or legs, couldn't you find your way to this pool? Hence the question, do you want to get well? Maybe, says Jesus, maybe it's time to get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And the Bible records that the man did just that, and was cured. Now, I confess that I'm taking a little bit of liberty with this story. Uh, there's another reading of it. You could say that this guy really is completely incapacitated. He could have done nothing to help himself. He absolutely had to have somebody come along and either miraculously heal him or pick him up, carry him over, and drop him in. That's possible. It's possible that that's what is being described here, that Jesus is that miraculous 
grace giver that he needs. But because the first description I gave you is so true to life as we often experience it for ourselves and with other people, let me stay with that interpretation, if I may, for just a bit longer. I think that many of us are like this guy in some critical ways. We would like to be healthier than we are. We would like to be spiritually healthier than we are today. We might even be able to imagine ourselves in the pool, washed by God's healing power, renewed, refreshed, changed in a wonderful way. In fact, I want to invite you to imagine that for yourself. Picture it, that you're at the pool today. You take the plunge. God's grace and mercy washes over you and fills you up and, you, and makes you healthier than you've ever been before. You get up tomorrow and you are a different person. I mean, you go into your workplace or out into your neighborhood or wherever it is that you're going and, and, and you feel God's presence all around you and within you in this wonderful way. In moments of, of conflict or choice, you sense God leading you because you're so connected to Him. You know what he wants you to be about and to do with yourself, your time, your resources, each moment. And the love that your heavenly Father has for you is so palpable to you. I mean, it's like the brightest, most real thing about your day is the love that the Father has for you. And as a result of that, It fills you with a love that makes you remarkably loving and kind to everybody you meet. You just feel this charity and concern and compassion for them the way he has for you. You feel a joyful confidence uh, about your day because of your connection with God. You know there is nothing that's going to happen to you that is outside of his will. You trust his sovereignty. You know that if things goes, goes bad, he can still work it for the good. So you go through your day joyfully, confident in a way that you didn't this past week. Your day is filled with all of the normal noise. You've got the usual pressures. The bills are coming in. You've got the difficult people in your life that you had last week. But now, because of this connection you have with God, this healthy life you have with God, you are unusually peaceful and serene as you walk through the storms and the maelstrom of life. Your identity, your sense of well-being is not tied as it was last week to how you look, to what you have, to what other people are saying about you. Um, Your identity is entirely rooted now in, in... Your status as the beloved child of the king, the greatest being in the universe, you are totally secure. And that changes everything about how you interact with problems and with people. People are amazed at how patient you are, how gentle you are, how persevering you are with people's flaws and foibles and failures in a way that you weren't last week. But now, you know, you, you're, you have been brought 
into such an alignment with God's heart, his nature. You know what a sinner you are. You can see that with fresh clarity and you know how gracious and merciful he is to you. And that makes you that way with other people. People find themselves surprised by the self-control you now have. I mean, you used to have issues. (laughs) Your appetites, you had addictions, you had passions that would run you no longer. You are so engrafted into his life, he's driving you. You you have Christ controlling you every moment of each day. And the goodness and the generosity with which you now move through life begins to exert this gracious influence on your family and your friends and your workmates and everybody who meets you. This is what it looks like to be spiritually healthy. How many of you would like to be there? Anybody? Yeah, I need two hands. I need to, I personally need two hands. I need, I want that. Because what I have just described is the spiritual health of Jesus himself. This is the way Jesus moved through the world in all these ways. And this is what he said he'd come to give us. Life in all of its fullness. Spiritual health that comes from alignment with the kingdom, the king, and his righteousness. Like the man at the pool of Bethesda, many of us have been trying to get into that life. I think that's why we come to a place like this. You know, this is the patio, in a sense. Uh, of modern-day Bethesda. This is our place of, of coming, hoping to, to find God's renewing power. We, we pray, even during the week sometimes, that God will change us. You know, we see ourselves repeating the things we did before. We go, I don't want to do that. God, change me. Make me a different person. We muster up as much willpower as we can to alter our our mindset, our attitudes, our behaviors towards other people. We make these resolutions, don't we? To try harder, to be spiritually healthier. We, We do that every single year, but not much happens. Not much happens. And with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, we we confess, maybe not in these words, but certainly this sentiment, I have the desire to do what's good. When I want to be healthy in those ways, I have the desire, I just can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. And the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Many of us feel, if we're really honest, that we are no closer to the glistening pool of the kingdom's health right now than we were last year at this time or five years before that or 50 years before that. And guess what? We're probably not going to get any closer as long as we keep doing life just the way we're doing it now. 
Let's be honest about that. The definition of insanity is what? Doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Right. We're not going to get any closer to this spiritual health we see in Jesus than we are of going out and riding the Tour de France, doped or undoped. We're not going to get any closer to it than the likelihood of us going out and climbing Mount Everest or playing scratch golf or winning Dancing with the Stars, even though we might wish all day long we could. Oh, I want to be like that. I want to do those things. Wishing gets us no closer to the pool. But walking will get us in the pool. If we want big changes to happen in our spiritual health, we must do something different than we've been doing. We have to start taking these small steps to overcome the asthenia, the weakness of our spirit that prevents us from getting where we want to go. In other words, we have to stop trying and start training. We have to shift. Some of us have already made the shift. Some of us have not. We have to shift from developing as a disciple through weekend exercise and shift to daily discipline. The people who first spent time with Jesus were amazed by the beauty and the power of his spiritual health. I mean, let's just go back and look, think about this realistically. Why do people drop their nets, leave their families, uh, let go of these other preoccupations, and follow after somebody? They were amazed by the health, the power, the beauty of the life that welled up in this man. They were amazed by it. And the disciples finally figured out, because they spent so much time with Jesus, that this power and beauty, this vitality of his life, had something to do with his disciplines. They noticed that Jesus spent a lot of time in silence and solitude. He would go off by himself, often when other people were looking for him. Jesus would devote a lot of time to prayer. Early in the morning, he's getting up to pray. They notice he goes off into the garden. He's there praying. They notice this. Jesus fasted. He spent time reflecting on what the Father was doing and finding ways of describing that, what he sensed the Father was doing. He insisted on a rhythm of Sabbath, rest, after every time he really worked hard he would discipline himself to rest. And so the disciples, finally putting it all together, come to Jesus one day. The story is recorded in Luke chapter 11. And they say to him, Jesus, Lord, teach us to do life the way you do it. Teach us to pray like you do. Teach us to do life the way you do it daily. If you want to go on the great adventure with Christ, then the first thing you need is sight for the pathway to set your sights on becoming healthy like Jesus. But you will not reach that destination until, secondly, 
you start training for the soul. That is the second thing you, you and I desperately need. We need some more training for our souls. Spiritual disciplines are like the hiking boots of the Christian life. Spiritual disciplines are like cross trainers. They put feet to the spiritual journey. They are the things that enable us to walk with God uh, more than on the weekend. They transport us to the place where responding in Jesus-like ways is no longer a matter of effort. It's simply the effluence of what God is doing in us. That's what spiritual disciplines do. They are the They are the things that bring us into the place where God moves through us instead of us having to do all of this work ourselves because they connect us deeply with God. Think about this. Think about how this really works. When you have been engaged daily in Bible study, I'm not talking about the little two-line verse you get in your devotional. It's better than nothing. Or the ones that I might be inclined to use. But when you have spent time, you've read a couple of chapters of the Scriptures daily. You've thought about what it's saying, its implication. You've imagined yourself there. You've personalized the words that are being spoken. When you are engaged in that daily immersion in the Scriptures, you do not ever have to think in a moment of pressure, I wonder what Jesus would do. You don't even have to wear the armband. You know what Jesus would do because you've been with him in the scriptures. You've been with God. You know what he thinks, how he acts, what he wants done. Similarly, when you've woven a regular practice of fasting into your life, when you have just had a regular rhythm of, on certain days, just foregoing a meal or some other dependency, And you have built up a capacity to do that for longer and longer periods of time. When you come to a moment of crisis and pressure, and there's this yank and pull to to go to that website or to respond to that person of the opposite sex or to open that refrigerator or hit the buffet, whatever it may be, you do not have to, to try so hard to simply not indulge. Because you have trained yourself to not be mastered by your body. You realize your spirit is the boss over your body. God's spirit is now driving you. Or when you've made a habit of silence and solitude, you have these regular periods when you get away and you just enjoy the sweetness of silence and solitude You are now seeing your life and its problems in their proper size. You're not being overwhelmed by it because you have this pattern of stepping back from it and you're seeing priorities more easily. You know what God's urging you to lean into and to let go of. You know that it's fine and maybe even better to not talk but to listen more. And when you have been journaling about your journey, when it's your practice to sit down and write and reflect back over the day at how God was at work and what you've learned and where you found yourself out of touch with him and what he was doing when you're journaling uh, your journey with God, 
you will find it so much easier to see clearly his patterns, your needs. You'll be in tune with what he's seeking to change in you. You'll feel his love more in your life. You'll be more aware of all there is to be grateful for than you would ever possibly be otherwise if you did not have that discipline. If I could suggest just one practical step to help you advance towards the pool of greater spiritual health, it would be this. This week, pick up a book on spiritual disciplines. I've given you a bunch of suggestions on the screen. We have them in our bookstore. You can get them online. Those are four great books right there. Spiritual Disciplines Handbook by Adele Calhoun, I'd probably recommend as number one. Pick up one of those books, read it, pick one discipline, and step forward with it. Put it on like a hiking boot and step forward with it. And put your weight on it and keep walking with it through the week and see what God does with that in you. And when you have got that going and that feels good, or you've decided that's not working, move on to another one, try that one, put it on, and start walking with it and see what God does with it. You know, at the end of a long trail in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, there is a rather remarkable destination called the Emerald Pool. I was there two years ago. Um, It is a really spectacular place. It is a um, deep, deep um, mountain pool. Um, You can jump from a big rocky outcropping over it, and you will not hit the bottom uh, once you plunge into that water. It is surrounded by a glade of spectacular trees, and the color of the trees lends to the crystal clear, cold, clean water there, its emerald hue. You cannot really find the words to describe what it's like to plunge into that pool. I mean, I've done it many times now, but I remember the first time, the feeling. The first thing you feel when you go in there is, I've died. It is so cold. Uh, It is fed by these mountain streams and cascades. Uh, But this is the kind of death you need because it's like you're dying to everything hot and sweaty and nasty about your, your life and you just plunge into this pool and you break up out of the surface and you have never felt cleaner and more alive. So few people ever get to experience that. And the reason is because you only get to the Emerald Pool by hiking the Bald Face Mountains. You have to be willing to go on a long, arduous, disciplined journey of many steps to get to that particular pool. But for anybody who's made that journey, there is no doubt that every bit of exertion has been worth, has been worth it. Don't be one of those people who misses the pool, okay? Don't be one of those people that misses the exhilarating power of a true spiritual health possible by immersion in a life with God. Be willing to go on the long walk to spiritual health by undertaking, starting tomorrow, more of the discipline steps needed. Many of us, I know, hear the term spiritual discipline 
And instantly we think, ooh, discipline, work, difficulty, that sounds too hard. It sounds like it's too great a cost to pay. But as Dallas Willard reminds us in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, the cost of really going on the great adventure with Jesus is so much smaller than the cost of lying there on the patio all your life. It is. This is what Dallas says. Non-discipleship, a life without discipline, costs abiding peace. It costs a life penetrated throughout by love. It costs you the faith you could have had that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good. It costs you that hopefulness that could have been yours that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances. It costs the power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, it costs you exactly that abundance of life that Jesus said he came to give you. The pool is open and the water is flowing and the grace and mercy of God that heals souls and refreshes and renews life is waiting for you. It is out there shimmering in its emerald glory but the question for you and for me is the same as it was for that man at Bethesda long ago. Will you just lie there where you've been for so very long waiting for somebody to come along and pick you up and carry you there? Will you keep making excuses for all of the reasons why you aren't more spiritually healthy, telling yourself, I'm trying, I'm trying? Or will you get up tomorrow and start training? Will you put on the boots of some new spiritual discipline? Will you, this is the most important question, will you? Be willing to walk. I hope the answer for every one of us is yes. Please pray with me. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that your call still rings out. Follow me. Grant us, we pray, Lord, the inspiration of your Holy Spirit to take those steps that lead to the renewing and the strengthening of our spirit. Lead us on the journey of training our souls that we might enter into that life abundant that is life indeed. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.